the business of sharing medical advice, but we are in the business of connecting people and sharing our experiences with the hope of helping others. Information shared in this podcast represents the perspectives of the speakers and contributors. It does not constitute medical advice and is not an official recommendation of the Patient Advisory Council or Improved Care Now. Welcome to the Impact Podcast by the Patient Advisory Council, aka the PAC, where we will be talking about inflammatory bowel disease or IBD to increase awareness and inclusivity while connecting with you, each other, and our guests. Hello everyone, my name is Noor and I'm with Anya today and we'll be um, going over um, kind of a post-conference discussion um, and we'll be speaking briefly of what our presentations were on um, and then we'll kind of talk about the highlights of each presentation and um, the goals of our, our particular topics. Um, so again, my name is Noor, and the topic that we presented on um, was recovering from flares. Um, hi guys, um, as Noor said, I'm Anya, and the topic that I presented on with a group of people was resilience, vulnerability, and validation part two. Yeah, um, so one of the goals from this presentation well, it's kind of to give an idea what recovering from a flare looks like. Um, usually when patients are diagnosed, um, they know what an IBD flare is and how to identify a flare, um, the symptoms of a flare, but usually no one really talks about the recovery process and how the recovery process can be just as daunting as going through a flare and sometimes even harder, um, especially after a first flare, um, as a patient is kind of getting situated and adjusted um, into this new body and learning how to suddenly now manage medications, managing um, kind of their mental health and dealing with suddenly taking multiple medications, um, dealing with schoolwork, or if you're um, if, if you got diagnosed as an adult, maybe adjusting um, career-wise and maybe, you know, informing your colleagues or your co- uh, co-workers or even your supervisor. And if you're a student, it could also be just, you know, learning how to access um, what a 504 plan um, and how to go about that. So it's a whole different um, various levels of adjustments. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we kind of talked about the recovery process and how important it is um, to kind of establish um, communication with your provider in learning how to adjust with taking medications every day, um, adjusting to this kind of new normal. Um, and you know, for a lot of patients, this is the first time in their lives where they've had to take so many different types of medication where they're suddenly overwhelmed with doctor appointments. Um, and this is something that's probably going to be very um, present and long-term in their lives. And it does require a lot of adjusting and um, kind of figuring out what to do from there. Um, so that was kind of the overall um, kind of feel of our presentation. Um, also giving patients and 
their caregivers an idea of um, how can how can they um, utilize certain resources to help them in the process of recovery. For example, um, in getting back in tune with exercising or being involved in meditation, um, maybe even being part of a um, kind of like a health group similar to what we have in the pack and um, being involved with other patients who are going through the same thing you are. Um, and we want to kind of stress the importance of that and um, how much of a difference it can make in your life, reaching out to people who kind of share um, what you've been through. And it, that kind of can help in creating that new normal um, once you kind of get to resonate with others and seeing how they adapt as well. Um, and Anya, how would, would you say that kind of um, is something that you experienced with PAC as well, you know, before joining and, you know, did you meet anyone else with IBD before? Um, yeah, I think I knew maybe like one or two people, but then once I joined the pack, like it's just this family and, you know, there's everyone's so helpful, whether or not it's even related to IBD. I mean, just having this community of people who go through the same things and can understand like what happens in your body daily and like they can understand like, oh, like I was stomach ache today. Like, oh my God, guys, I was homework and like, I can't do it. And it's just a great community to like have and have me have something that I've found in the communities, just how supportive everyone is of each other and bringing different ideas to the table. I think it's just, it's, it's an amazing community. That's awesome. And do you feel like you, did you struggle with managing medication um, when you were first diagnosed as a patient? Um, did you find that overwhelming by any chance? Uh, yeah, I was actually very young when I was di or younger compared to a lot of people when they were oh, normally okay. diagnosed. So I, I mean, as like a seven year old, I guess oh, wow. it was kind of, yeah, it's a little tricky to manage like, oh, now I have to take like this medicine every day. And like, there's certain things like, oh, if I eat them, like, unlike my friends, it's going to like hurt my stomach, you know, and I think it's a big adjustment. And um, yeah, I guess when I was first diagnosed, I was in a flare, technically speaking, and then coming down from that and not knowing what to do with like this new medicine that I needed to take like every day and having to go out of class and go to the nurse's office to take it and just like feeling really awkward about it and not really knowing what was happening in my body. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I find that's probably one of the difficult things about being diagnosed with a chronic illness is being um, feeling comfortable to explain to others what it is without giving, you know, like a whole entire backstory to what the disease is and what the disease encompasses. And sometimes you feel like most people still don't understand um, like the faculties of everything about the disease and you find yourself um, a bit isolated and, you know, and to be diagnosed at seven years old, that is so incredibly young. Um, you know, one of the things that I was kind of looking at when I was doing this presentation is looking at tools for um, for kiddos, like, you know, to help them and make it easier when they take their medications. And interestingly, I found that there was not a lot of resources available to kind of help understand the relationship between um, medication and gut improvement or gut healing. 
And I was, you know, you know, as vast as the internet is, I was surprised that there was not a lot out there. You know, I was like Googling and typing, um, like gut anatomy for kids or, you know, like diagrams of the GI. And like, I kept my, I, and I kept coming up with things that are a little bit too sophisticated for, you know, general kids understanding. And um, I feel like that would be something really helpful to have at a doctor's office, you know, like in a cute like pop-up book or something, you know, that would help a kid understand this is what happens when you take your medication. And this is why ultimately in the long-term there is positive effects and it is good for, good for you to continue. Um, because even as adults, we kind of get into the mindset, you know, if I'm feeling better, I can just continue my medication or I can stop it. And um, that's kind of a very dangerous, you know, place to be in because then you can just, you know, you are making a decision without speaking to your provider. And that ultimately can have long-term repercussions on your health. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I'm sure, I mean, at one point, you know, during, you know, our treatment, we probably had all these thoughts, you know, like, I'm tired of taking my medication, um, you know, and especially when you think about this as like something you have to take long-term, um, mm-hmm. it, it does get overwhelming. Do you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I when I was on Humira or Humira, I it, the citrus free version was not out yet. So, um, as some of you might know or may not know, with that when it has the citrus, it stings like a lot. So, you know, I was getting that every two or four weeks. I forget now, but so I mean, like when you're someone like a teenager slash like little kid, you you don't want to be like taking this shot and like having to be in this immense amount of like pain for like even though it's like one or two seconds for just the shot you know like this immense amount of pain like it's like oh well why am I even doing this like I feel okay now like why do I have to keep taking it like I'm okay now I don't have any stomach pain mom like my I'm not feeling nauseous can I just stop it because like I'm okay but I think the problem is kind of like what you're saying there's no resources or very little resources for kids or even just like 13 year olds 10 year olds 11 year olds who don't fully understand you know what is this digestive tract what does the medicine do and I think that without that understanding it builds this base for those questions like oh I'm I'm okay now like why can't I just stop taking the medicine and then you know, that builds into a little bit of mental health, frustration, anger, stress, like, so I think it's very important that those resources get out there for children, because, you know, it can help them in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, Anya, this kind of connects a little bit with your topic presentation on resiliency, because it does take, I mean, for a little kid, you know, this is something very abstract to them. And to be able to say, you know, now you have this list of medications that you need to take and um you know there is not kind of like you know like this thing at the end of the line where it's like oh you know you take um you're you're gonna you're gonna take this medication and that's it you know you're gonna be fine and you can stop you know and unfortunately it's not like um, when you do take an antibiotic, so an antibiotic course usually runs for maybe like two weeks, seven days, and then you stop it. But with IBD medications, there is maintenance medication. And unfortunately, those are ones you have to continue even when you are in remission. And I think it's difficult to, spe- to you know, to communicate that to younger kids to continue medication even after they're feeling better. 
And I think that's where the big part of resiliency comes in, you know, and I, it's very, it's a very abstract concept to describe to a child. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we focused a lot more on validation in this part too, but part one of this presentation focused a lot on resiliency. And I think like even, even with validation, I mean, if you consider this topic of like taking medicines and having to feel validated by your doctors and family and people involved in your care is super important as a child because you're not exactly getting that from other people around you who don't fully understand your disease. So you have to get it from the people who understand your disease. Cause I mean, when I was little, I wasn't part of the pack and I didn't know anyone else with Crohn's disease my age. Like I knew older people, but like, you know you don't relate to older people when you're small. So exactly. it's kind of like, you need that validation from your doctor saying that I get it. I, I understand that you're feeling frustrated on you or whoever it is, right? I understand that you feel like you want to stop the medication, but this is what's happening in your body. This is what the medicine is doing. And this is why you have to keep taking it. That is a form of validation. I feel like that, like explaining it to kids, explaining it to children, making them feel like they understand what's happening in the body and other people understand what's happening to them is an extremely important part of validation. And then it also ties into that resiliency part where the resilience in the child can build up when they know what's happening to them and how they can help themselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and this kind of was reminding me um, of a story that I remembered once I was at um, Camp Oasis, and you know, at, usually with Camp Oasis, all you know, kids under eighteen, um, and one of them shared how it was very difficult for them um, with school and with their peers because, you know, ABD is something that involves uh, the GI tract, obviously. So. A lot of time you are discussing stool and um, and to you know kids can be a little mean sometimes and you know you know might use the term gross and disgusting and say you know that's a very gross thing and that's and it's like ew and it's you know and for someone who's suffering from a disease this is very real for them and as a child who is just adjusting to this you know this is kind of like a huge setback for them. And you can imagine where they not where they might not be medication compliant, um, and you know ultimately, usually it's the parents who are providing and supervising the medication. Um, but I feel like this is where it really contributes to the child's isolation and perhaps even anxiety and depression, in being you know at school and and interacting with their peers and. Um, I think it's, you know, it's not an easy topic to discuss with younger children. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially with like you mentioned about validation and um, how important it is for a provider to provide validation. Um, did you feel like this is something that you encountered often as a child? Um, personally, I feel, so I actually moved around and I think the doctor that I had when I moved to where I am now, um, I've had him since I was in third grade. He is extremely, I mean, like the validation that you get from him is amazing. He speaks, it's less of a, you know, normally when you find doctors, they'll speak to the parents if it's like a child and be like, right. oh, what's happening to you? But my doctor, he actually finds it extremely important to talk to the child first and get as much as he can from the child before he turns to the parent because, you know, 
while caregivers, it's important to realize that caregivers and the patient are both very familiar with what's happening to the patient, the patient will always know best. You know what I'm saying? Because absolutely. There can be things that a patient or a child doesn't want to tell their parents because they feel embarrassed or they just don't want to tell them, you know? And I think one thing that um, doctors do that is really important is asking for that one-on-one time with the patient and being like, so um, could you step out of the room so I can talk to her alone or him alone? Um, And, you know, I think that's just an important step towards making the child feel validated. So personally, I feel when I was first diagnosed, I didn't have that sense of, oh, my doctor's talking to me, not my mom or yeah, my mom. And it's, but I feel like once I moved here and I got my new doctor, I definitely felt that sense of validation. And then I can even notice in myself that building up that resiliency once I felt validated was much easier than before. Yeah, that's absolutely so incredibly important. I think sometimes providers forget, you know, that they need to be speaking to the patient, not the caregivers, because the patient ultimately is the one who is experiencing the symptoms. You know, it is, they are living in their body, so they know exactly what's happening. Um, you, You know, the parents may provide, you know, just, you know, anecdotal stories as well of what's happening symptom wise, but the only person who can accurately tell what's happening to them is the patient. And I think it's so important for doctors to be able to say, yeah, you know, you may be six, seven, eight years old, but you are the patient um, and no one knows best what you're experiencing except, you know, the person sitting in the room. Um, And I think it's so important for doctors to, any doctors, providers to be able to recognize that. Um, So I'm glad, I'm really happy that you're finally able to find a provider who can um, actually, you know, you know, give you the space that is right for you and, um, you know, and, you know, and talk to you as a person with the symptoms and not just the person, not the next person in the room with you. Um, I think that's very, very important clinically wise. Um, And then I think one of the other things that we touched upon in the presentation um, that I thought was really, um, that was really important and and ultimately plays such a great role um, in, in the whole in the whole aspect of recovering from a flare. Um, and that's basically in how to access um, counseling and mental health and and that is so important when you are in the process of recovery. Um, and to maintain that recovery and to maintain remission um, is to be able to talk kind of through that uh, medical trauma, um, be able to go through those kind of emotions, those kind of experiences, and be able to talk about that in a space that you feel safe and comfortable in is very important. Um, I think a lot of patients either feel like they can handle it on their own or um, due to maybe cultural factors, they may feel it's not necessary or they can deal with it on their own. And, you know, down the line, that could become an issue um, when they continue to face more medical trauma and then it became, becomes difficult to cope um, with school or um, career-wise. Um, and so we really wanted to make sure that uh, patients knew where to find those resources and how they can 
um, how they can find them and you know make sure that they were accessible um, and I you know as a patient um, Anya I do you feel like this was something you know you're able to speak with with your provider or um, something you maybe you know were able to find during part of school services or anything yeah so um I think for me, I actually very, I'm be completely honest, I actually very recently got a therapist and I had oh, wow. a first session with one last week. Oh, that's because, awesome. Yeah, and I think my provider had mentioned it multiple times before about how important it is to make sure mental health with Crohn's is, well, for me, Crohn's, but for other people might be UC, whatever it is, is to have that mental stability is very important. Um, but due to external factors, I wasn't necessarily able to get counseling until recently. But, um, you know, I think it's really important that you're able to talk it out because I think what a lot of people see or don't see technically, because it is an invisible disease, but I think what patients see themselves are the physical, you know, um, symptoms. But I think that it can take a huge mental toll as well. I mean, for me, at least, and I'm sure this applies to many other people, even if I'm not flaring, I have anxiety that what if what I eat today makes me go into a flare? What if something I do today makes me go into a flare? What if I go into a flare tomorrow? How is this going to disrupt my school? I'm in high school now. So what if this disrupts my SAT? What if this disrupts college apps? And freshman year, I mean, I got surgery and I was completely like out in and out of the hospital. And, you know, that whole year of like, oh, this, what is this doing to my grades? What is what is this doing? What am I going to do? What, you know, like this whole sense of frustration, loneliness, isolation, stress. And then this cycle of mental health and physical health comes all together because stress and isolation, not having the correct mental health can lead to a flare. So I think it's extremely important that patients are able to seek out um, mental health services and counseling. And I think they should themselves seek it out, especially if once they turn 18, I understand parents, whatever the situation might be, may not be accessible as a child. But, um, you know, as soon as you are able to advocate for yourself, advocating for that as much as you can. And then if it doesn't work, as soon as you turn 18, grabbing that counseling service and sticking with it, I think it's really important. Absolutely. I, I think it's a very you know, it's a very cyclical type behavior, you know, and if you don't know, you know, what to recognize kind of what the triggers are, you could find yourself even not when not having a flare and being completely in remission, but that kind of the, the mental and emotional factor can lead into these kind of that anxiety can lead into like abdominal pain, you know, diarrhea, like, you know, all those kind of visceral um, mm -hmm. symptoms that you'd feel during a flare, you'd feel those too as well during anxiety and it you know the whole thing is a, creates a whole cyclical episode um and it's just really it's really intense what the mind can do to the body and it's very important to be able to recognize both and get treatment for both they're just as important um mm -hmm. and I, I think you know what real what really wanted to strive in this um in this presentation is to be able to talk about all those factors. Um, and it was really great to have such a receptive and wonderful audience to be able to talk about such topics and, um, you know, and getting everyone's feedback and to have everyone present was, um, uh, it was 
quite a feat and quite an accomplishment that I'm very proud of. And um, and I think the PAC um, patients have put out such amazing presentations and, you know, to be able to provide, you know, our personal feedback on this, on these kind of experiences as well, and um, how they can contribute to also future toolkits as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you have any last comments, Anya, or anything else you would like to input regarding your presentation? Um, you know, I just think that it's really important that just as a last comment that as a patient or as a caregiver, as um, you're advocating for yourself, because that can be the most important thing. And if you recognize that you aren't feeling validated or you're not feeling like your needs are being met, it's important to advocate for yourself and bring it up to your caregiver or your providers and, you know, really get the care that you deserve. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. Um, advocacy is the number one thing as a patient because if, if you don't tell others how you're feeling or what you're going through or what you need, um, honestly, no one else would know what's going on in your mind or how you're feeling. So that's actually a very excellent point, Anya. Um, well, thank you everyone for joining and I hope everyone found this talk. Um, uh, I hope you enjoyed this talk and um, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. Thank you. If this content resonates with you, we encourage listeners to learn more about Improve Care Now and the PAC at improvecarenow.org, where you can sign up to join the PAC, the parent working group, and join our circle.